critical moment, a moment that maybe we'll tell our children or grandchildren about, that a president was on trial. On trial from the Senate that acts on the articles of impeachment that have been submitted by the House of Representatives and to decide whether Donald J. Trump can continue to act as President of the United States. Now, this event, this impeachment, which is probably going to go on for a long time, is an indicator. It's an indicator of, of course, our it doesn't have an HDMI cable. All right, so this idea is a great idea. It's going to work. An indicator of the division of powers, that despite the president being the most powerful person in the United States, invested with the most power, commander-in-chief of the armed forces and and the FBI, which, of course, sort of can do anything, even illegal, and that's the whole point of the FBI, that they can actually they can subvert law if they if they want to. They answer, the Justice Department answers directly to the president. So this man who was invested with so much power, this moment sort of indicates the limits of his power. The limits of the power, of course, are not just that he serves four years and loses his time in office, not loses, but actually expires his time in office because the election now goes the other way, but he can actually be kicked out, so to speak, pushed away from his power, even in the middle of his term. Now, of course, this is something that we've been hearing about, but it has actually halachic ramifications as well. It does actually affect halacha. And I thought, as now as we stand at this moment, I thought it'd be worthwhile for all of us to be able to discuss it and hear about it. Okay. So, if you take, uh, we have some sources here, which uh, we're having a little bit of a technical trouble, probably getting these sources up for everyone, but I'm going to ask everybody to sort of join me here at the uh, at the desk, and we'll be able to perhaps go through it. The uh, the Gemara Brachas, of course, says that when it lists in the, you know, when, in, in the last parak of Brachos, when it lists on various things, various things that are supposed to, that we see in the world that are supposed to bring us back to God, things that we see in the world, in the, in, in the natural and political and communal world that are allow us to sort of like recognize what God does for us. One of them is actually singing, seeing kings. And the Gemara says that even if you see Malchai Umas Olam, even if you see kings from the non-Jewish world, you make a bracha. Baruch shenosan michvaydoi lebosar v'dom. Meaning that we know that kings are given honor and people are in awe of them and are concerned about them. That sort of honor that everyone gives to these kings, it all comes from God. Shenosan michvaydoi lebosar v'dom. Of course, even seeing, a, of course, a Jewish king, of course, he would also make a bracha. Here, the, if you take a look in the, in the standard text of the Gemara, the Gemara says that when you see a Jewish king, you make the bracha, sheholak Not nosan michvaydoi, but cholak michvaydoi. The Beis sort of in a Kabbalistic vent, and it was amplified and basically repeated by the Taz, says there's a difference between a Jewish person who is a king of the Jewish people and a king that as God is allowed to arise into the nations. The Jewish one is called a chalik of God's own glory. As if it's part, he was part of God and God sort of chiseled out a piece of himself as it were that that's now his glory that resides within the king. Whereas a non-Jewish king it's nosan michvaydain. So the Beis Yosef says, just like when you give a gift, you, there's no strings attached. The gift is given, 
<laughs> okay, you know that it comes from God, but the same is true with a non-Jewish king. He has that glory. Now the Rambam, although that is the standard text of the Gemara, and it leads the Beis Yosef to say this interpretation. If you look in the Rambam in Ilchus Brachos, he says you say Shenosan <laughs> in both situations. Nosan Michvaidoi. The only difference is that a Jewish king, you say we reyov, that the Jewish king is someone who recognizes the power that he has and yet continues to fear God in spite of that. Whereas uh, a non-Jewish king, we don't necessarily expect, although you know, they, they, to necessarily be from the people that fear God. He's a human being. Okay, so that is the, that is the Gemara there. The Gemara also says another comment that, and it's brought down in the Dafyomi was recently, and it's repeated again in Brochus a number of weeks later. It's the same statement. The person should make all efforts uh, to see a melech of Yisrael, and even a melech of, uh, of the non-Jewish world as well. The person should make efforts to see the trappings and the idea of a melech. Why? Because we hope that when we see what it means, glory, dynasty, and power that we that we allow these people to have over us, then we're going to understand the difference when the Mashiach finally arrives, what incredible power and glory the Mashiach has. In fact, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Chaim Sofer, the Kavachayim, says that after you make that bracha, he says you can actually see the non-Jewish king, you make that bracha, and then you say, Now that I've seen him, God, please allow me to see the Mashiach as well, and I'll be able to bless God for being able to have that, to have that happen to us as well. So there are mitzvahs that are connected, halachos that are connected in terms of recognizing a king and a person of great power. All right. So now, um, I guess now the question would be, um, what is a king today? All right. Obviously, things have changed historically. And, you know, is a what, what constitutes the idea of a powerful person that, as I said, a broch on Trump. Again, I apologize for those that are coming in uh, on the later side. That we do not have the screen working for us. I had the best people in the company working on it, and the screen is not available. So I'm going to have to sort of like again, you know, do my best. If you do, those of you that have your phones with you, and I won't be insulted if you start surfing other sites. But all of you were actually given. Uh, most of the sources in your phones, if you was as attachments, so feel free to look there. I'm going to refer to them. So I want to do again. It's in the Gemara, uh, and then the question is how we adapt the ideas of the Gemara to kings of today's time, kings and presidents of today's time specifically. Does it even apply to presidents? So the earliest fundamental source on this. Uh, was a tshuva to uh, Rav Avram ben Yitzchok of Narvon, known as the Rav Av Bezdin, and the author of a really seminal work in Aloha called the Eshkol. And some of you might have heard that, that was Sefer Eshkol, the Bala Eshkol. Um, Rav Avram ben Yitzchok of Narvon was a Rosh Hashiva, and a very important person in terms of his influence. But in a way, because of his name and the way he was referred to as Rav Avbezdin, he became confused in many times with his son-in-law. His son-in-law was a very feisty, incredible person and probably in many ways eclipsed his father-in-law, um, definitely after his death. And that was the Raivad. The Raivad, of course, is, 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 is Rav Avram ben David, of Pascheris, who is actually 
the, the famous people know him, of course, as the one who always criticizes the Rambam. But in his time, the Ravid was much more than a Rambam critic. The Ravid eventually became, as the Miris calls him, Gedele Hamiforshim, the greatest of the uh, of the Talmud elucidators. The Ravid. Um, there's a you know uh, Isidore Tversky of Shalom, Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi son-in-law, wrote a book about the Ravid, which I think is a very nice. Very nice work, and Rechaim Salvechik, that's the Salvechik's son, wrote an incredible essay about the Raivad. But because as these as, as, as these men who came from a similar area you know, uh, of the world, and their writings sort of became confused. So many times there's writings that the Rishonim will attribute to Rav Avbez, and they'll think it's the Raivad. But really, it's his father-in-law, Ravon Ben Yitzchuk of Narvon. And it was it was difficult to figure out who was who. In a, I have a, a personal connection to this because for a number of years, uh, Rabbi Avram Shoshana, the uh, head of Machon Ophik in Cleveland and in Yerushalayim, I think also as uh, the branch, uh, allowed myself and Rabbi Bechafer, who by the way has now become um, my partner in a new podcast, so I called Rischa Daraisa, that should be dropping every week. But myself and Rabbi Bechafer worked for a number of years on the uh, manuscript copied from the Ginsburg, um, uh, from Moscow, the Ginsburg Geniza, as it were, on the Truvis of the Rav of Bezdin. Uh, there was only one or two extant copies of these Truvis. Um, and Rav Kapach was also able uh, in the late 50s, early 60s to get a hold of the Xaviad. I had a photocopy of it for a number of years. I still do. Uh, and I was working on it and writing notes on it. Um, I'm not going to get into why the book never was published. Um, that's a, a lot to do with not getting paid, though. So anyway, the point is is that I worked on... Uh, this man, and for a number of years, I sort of like bonded with the Rav Avvezdin, and I saw, if not his original writing, but one of the earliest transcriptions of this tshuva. It is printed here; it's in your email. Uh, Rav Kapach published it in the '60s, and this is what he says. Um, now you have to understand, Provence was a very independent. I don't know exactly if the, the right political term, but they Where had. Where Provence come from? I thought we said Is in Provence. It's in southern France. So that section was really the most enlightened uh, area of where Jews were. Now, they, they, they had Jews there that spoke Arabic and were able to provide the translations of the great Arabic works from the Sephardim. Um, for example, you've heard about the Ibn Tibbins, right? So there's Yehud Ibn Tibbin, Moshe Ibn Tibbin, Shmuel Ibn Tibbon. These were the translators of the great works, Chovos, Chovos, and even Marnavuchim as well. So the, in Provence, they had scholars that could translate from Arabic to Hebrew. Um, so it was really a, a hotbed of intellectual churning and understanding. When the Rambam wrote a letter to the Chachmei Provincia, the Rambam, of course, who was in Egypt, he says, I, I never realized. He says, I wrote my Mornevuchim, my, my, my philosophical uh, work, on, on on understanding mitzvahs for a, for a thinking person, I wrote it in Arabic because I didn't believe there were people outside of the Arabic speaking world who really were on the level of understanding this. Now I see that there is a place that really combines real intellectual thinking with Torah scholarship and bikius, as we'd say, and expertise. And those were the Chochmei Provincia, which the Rambam, of course, didn't even know about. And the Ravid, of course, was was the king of Provence. Um, so, the in Provence, the Jews had autonomy up till about the time of the Pastoral, which was about 1324. And when they came in with this religious persecution uh, from the Christians at that time, uh, it basically led to the complete and total decline of Provence. Remember, Provence was also, again, I don't want to turn this into the Jewish history channel like I did last week, but I think it's important to know that they not only were the bridge of the Arabic stuff that was coming from North Africa, but also they were the bridge between Spain and, and, and France, and higher France and Germany. They were sort of like the place uh, where the crossroads of all of what we say, Rashi and Tesis, right? And the Ramban, Rashban, Ritva that were in Spain, 
Provence was sort of the place that everything was churning and happening. Um, I was about to ask you, you kind of just touched it. The Rambam didn't know the existence of Rashi and, and the Bali Tosis. The Rambam never quotes Rashi, and it sounds like he never had a copy of the Rashi's contrasim. Uh, yeah, that sounds like he didn't have them. And uh, again, when you when you when you grow up in this type of persecution that the Rambam grew up in in, in, in Spain, the fact that he had to uh, exile himself to North Africa for a while and live almost in secret in terms of keeping Torah mitzvahs, and of course the Rambam also had blinders on because he was extremely focused and he was working on his parish on Mishnah, which took him five years. Of, we talked about the translation last couple of weeks ago. So he really wasn't really aware what was happening on. He was just struggling. He was struggling to survive. He was working on his PhD. Struggling to survive and keep his head above water. Uh, studying, as we said a couple weeks ago, last week, studying the writings of, of, his, of his father's notes. So he really wasn't aware. And, and again, you, you did not have, although you had the Gaonim's uh, chuvas being carried uh, throughout North Africa up into Spain, but he didn't know what was going on above that. He didn't realize that there was things happening in France and Germany that were of extremely of extreme import, and he and he didn't even know about the gateway into France and Germany, which was Lower Spain called Provence. He didn't know about that either. Well, uh, the Rivet, of course, got a hold of the Rambam's work, and although he was ten or twelve years his senior, he decided to write some notes on it, which have, which eventually. Which eventually, uh, right? Which eventually uh, became right. He was, he was, as he was, eventually became what the Rivet was most well known for was his notes. But the, again, the Rivet, his father-in-law, the Balamor, who of course was the Rivet's uh, main uh, antagonist. It's possible even that the Balamor was studying together with the Rivad uh, in his father-in-law's yeshiva. And it's possible, there's some people who speculate that the Balamor and the Rivet might have been rivals for the uh, daughter of, of Rabbi Avram ben Yitzchak Avesdin, and the Rivet won. So it is possible as far as that goes. Um, I'm not sure uh, if that is true or not, but they definitely... Um, they def- sure movie plot. They, def- <laughs> yeah. they knew each other, and it, do- it wasn't, again, it went back and forth. The Rivet Sefer, uh, again, this, uh, again, Rabbi Yisrael Toshma, Ovesholem, who was a chevroner, big Talmud Chochem, who became one of the great scholars of modern Israel, wrote a whole book about the, the Balamor <coughs> and the Rivet and, 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 and what was going on between them. So I, 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 ask, I tell you to look there. And there's material there about the Rav Avvezdin. But the point I'm trying to make, besides giving you the background that this person is an extremely important historical figure, is that he looked at what was happening in the autonomy that they had. There was some sort of decentralized king over that area, Langaduk, or whatever they called it, Langaduk, or something like that. Again, my good friend David Katz, who listens to it, and all the people, all the historians are going to say, Kivalevich is butchering uh, the tra- the pronunciation. The pronunciations of the, the pronunciations. So I got a message saying, I'm "Sorry, I can't talk right now." Okay. So thank God for all these little immediate uh, messages helpful, yes. back. Sorry. Um, so anyway, the point being is that he looked at the era around him, and other people did too, and say, hmm, who's the king here? I mean, there is this 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 uh, duke, the duchy, there is someone here who is controlling us. Um, is he the king? I mean, what is the king? Right? When especially, again, there was people who were given official titles, but their power was somewhat limited. They, they, there was distance in space. So that's why this question came up to the Ravid, the Rava Vezdin. He was Rav Avbezdin because he was the head of all the rabbis, so to speak, of that whole area. Rav Avbezdin. Anyway, so here was the question. He said, you're asking me about kings from the non-Jewish world and are the Shiltonim. And I remember when I worked on this in the manuscript, we did a, a, me and my chavrusa did a very big search about where we found the word shilton in Arabic and Aramaic translations and what that was. And it was, it was, it, it related to like a prince and a sar, a governor, shilton, the power of people. 
Are they kings? That was the question. They're not technically the king, but in this area, they answer officially to a king. But right here, they seem to have a lot of independence. So the, the Rabbi Bezdin writes, and you can see it here if you want. I don't know why. Again, it's not on the board, or you can see it in your you can see it in your in your phone. Yes. Yes. Very very. Anyone who basically the way he runs his office and the way he controls things is basically a king. And here's the key words: Vidon b'mishpat. Vidon b'mishpat. He starts a process of din which can result in the most important uh, most important aspect of being in control that a person loses your life loses their life based on the system that this person invokes or is the main pusher of and if that's the person's determination it can't be countered by anyone else. Mehen. Mehen lav, umi lav hain. He's in the sense that if he's determined it, yes, the man lives, nobody can say, no, no, we're going to kill the guy anyway. And if it's lav, if he says thumbs down, and that's the way it's determined, that this is sedition, this is espionage, uh, whatever it is, umi lav hain, then, who Choshev? He's obviously, whether he has the title of king, right? Whether he has the, uh, uh, the, the, the crown on his head or not, he's Choshev. And you would make the bracha, Shecholak Mikvaydai, and you see the, the Rabbi Bezdin, not like the Rambam, has the difference between the two types of brachas. Ushanosan Mikvaydai. You would make those brachas, even, he says, even if the king happens to be a Jew, right? Even if a Jew is lucky enough, and we know in Spain and other places, Rab Shmuel Anogid and others, there were Jews who actually had official political roles as kings, and they would get that bracha. The, the Rabbi Bezin continues, and he says another part where he... Uh, uh, I just want to... Mara sometimes uses the, the um, title of Shalit, Megavei Deivishtah. Yeah, right, the Shalit of the... Shalit HaOlam. Shalit. I just had it twice. It's a book Right, right. Yeah, the Shiltonim. Again, the 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 next question the Rav Bezdin deals with is uh, seeing a king. Is it like seeing a great mountain? Is it like seeing uh, a great ocean? Uh, how many times if you see if you're around if, like, if you're in the capital city and you see him like do, how many times do you make this bracha? Do you make this bracha once every thirty days, or is it like thunder and lightning that as long as you see him the next day? So the Rav Bezdin then says. He believes that, he says it's not clear to him, but he believes the right way to look at this is that if, you, if you've seen this king and there's no difference in him the next time, um, then he, as long as it's been a month since you've seen him, you don't make a bracha. However, he says if you see, if you happen to be, and this is an interesting thing, if you happen to see a hundred kings in a day, how about if they've, they've called a, they've called a convention and everybody is coming and it's like, a, it's like, like the UN, like when everybody shows up and there's a hundred kings. So he says you'd make a bracha on each hundred of them. Just like difference, the difference between, you know, when, 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 when a lightning strike uh, happens or there, he says, he says, and therefore, he says, even though, and again, this is an important truth in a way, because it, you're not seeing your own king, right? You're seeing a convention of kings, but that king is different than another king. And since he also has power in wherever he is, even though he's not over you, you're still supposed to make that bracha. Well, that's Yeah, okay. Why, why is that Pashat? Not so Pashat, because... Well, I'll tell you why it's yeah. What's the bracha you're making? Yeah, sure, right. So you're right. But we'll see that there are some who disagree with this. No, but the, the whole point of the bracha is that 
But it, but it could be Yanki that the, the emotional sense of feeling that is only when it's your king. In other words, it, it's true if you happen to hear and now announcing the king and queen of Denmark, right? And now the Liechtenstein they come in over here and like. Oh yeah, right. What, what are they going to do, right? So, but if you're a Lichtensteiner, if you're a Lichtensteiner, you do care, right? So it's not so bullshit, right? Not so bullshit. No, but the, the definition we're saying is someone who can, you know... But you have to be bargain shit. The point is, is that the fact that you know he's there isn't enough. It's because you see it that somehow affects you, right? The sight of this, and who am I, and I don't have power, and he can do this to me, and et cetera, et cetera. A king over here? Right? Who's that guy? Okay, good. He's got diplomatic immunity. Okay, but what is he to be? I feel we would be making a different Okay, I'll tell you what. Yankee, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but all right. Anyway, wow, that... <laughs> you know what? If we have battery power, we'll do it after this year. We'll have our, we'll have our, we'll have our round table... Uh, where everybody can everybody can kick I'm just in. Since you're one of the reasons we usually get stuck, you yeah, should be I, you should be impressed. I'm saying, I'm, I'm I've learned how to t- I've learned how to tame Jack. Okay, so let's let's go to the let's go to the next point. So the point is this. Okay, so that's on record. And as I said before, up until the time that every the the the, the mist of history got us all confused, we didn't even know who this person was. He he wielded a pretty big bat, Rav Avbesen, to the point that approximately 400 years later, the Radvaz, who lived close to 100 years, was asked about the situation in the, uh, I'm not sure w- which empire it was of the Muslims, but he was living in Egypt. And um, you can take a look, it's the, it's the Radvaz that's in the email. So they asked the Radvaz a similar question. They said, you know, the the uh, the the main imam or you know the main caliph is in Constantinople, um, but he sent his pasha to Egypt. So the Jews in Egypt, where the Radvaz lived, Rabdavid ibn Zimra, wanted to know: Should we make a brach on this guy? So the Ravaz says, you know what? A couple hundred years ago, the great Rav Avbezdin was asked about this question. And, I, and then he gives you the, he gives you the basic uh, download of the Rav Avbezdin. Almost all the achronim who quote this, which they call the Ravad or the Rav Avbezdin, they got it from the Radvaz. Because David and Zimra's works were printed very close to his lifetime and reprinted often. He was a very popular meshiv, thousands of chuvas he answered, and he writes in a clear, uh, distinct style. And because of that, this chuva has been preserved. Now, so the, the Radva says that after he basically quotes the Rav Avvezdin, he says, now that I'm, I have to see, is this if, is this um, Egyptian governor, is he like the Shilton that the Rav Avbezdin is talking about? Because it would seem the Rav Avbezdin's time, that guy could basically, although there was a mishpat on the books, and again, this might be a good place to reference Parsha Shmos, where the Ramban actually says that even in Mitzrayim, where there was incredible merciless persecution, the Jews thought that there was a sense of mishpat originally. That's why they couldn't believe when things were happening um, that it was done on behalf of the government, because there was actually uh, a mishpat uh, in place, even in Mitzrayim, <laughs> that had to, people had to, had to uh, uh, comport to. So the question is, is that what sort of mishpat do we have? Because in Provence... There was mishpat, but the king, with the with whoever that 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 duke said, he pretty much he pretty much caused the wheels to move, and that's how things happened. But here in our Islamic uh, protectorate, here in in Mitzrayim, things are different. There is like a governor uh, who's running things, this basha, the pasha, but he can't just decide to kill someone. He needs to get permission from the Shofet Hagodo, uh, from the from the from the Khalif himself. Aha. Uh-huh. 
Now, I don't know who the Shofet is, but he was obviously an expert in Sharia law. And if someone was guilty of death, the Pasha had to send back a, a letter of, of and, and describing the situation. And if the Pasha said, if the, if the judge said, the Chacham Sharia said that he's worthy of death, then the Pasha in one of the protectorates would then have the right to invoke the death penalty. So now it gets a little more complicated. We have a person who is the most powerful person around, but when it comes to life and death, he has to rely on somebody else. So since he has to rely on somebody else, it would seem that he is not, he doesn't, it doesn't, uh, doesn't align to the definition of the Rav Abezdin. Rav Abezdin says that the guy here has the power done the Horeg Mishpat. Here, you're not the prime mover. True, you might bring the you might bring the articles against him, but you have to. But then they have to be determined by the judge in Constantinople, whoever where the seat of the caliphate was. So he says you need to know how things work. Even here in Egypt, there's two types of Islamic justice. One is called Sharia law, and one is called Orfe. He calls it Orfe. Sharia law, true, if he wants to be punished based on Islamic Sharia law, he can only uh, denounce him and send the firman, whatever, he doesn't, he doesn't issue the firman. The firman is issued by uh, the imam and, 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 and the shoftim. So if it has to go according to Islamic law, he's the posek. But there's something called orfi. And orfi is the practical law. Because clearly, if we're going to have to wait, this is what the Red Vaz says, if the man here on the ground is going to have to wait when he wants to make changes, or if there's someone who we need to get rid of because he's a public menace, we're going to have to wait till it's, it's decided according to Islamic law, there's going to be anarchy. So therefore, there's something called the Orphi law. And Orphi is really, in a way, meta-law, beyond the din, and it doesn't need the shofet, it doesn't need the judge of Sharia law to impose that. So therefore, he says, the Pasha here can do things that nobody can stop him, even though in some cases he does have some uh, checks and balances, but there is an area where he has control. And in that area... um, he's in charge. Now, again, the parallel is somewhat similar. On one hand, right, there are certain areas where if we would say, you know, can, can Trump kill anybody? Well, he has to go to the justice system, right? He just killed Soleimani, right? right? And if he would order the death of a modern-day terrorist, right? he wouldn't have to go and get permission from the courts. The same way, it, it, the same way, his drone attack can till, can kill Soleimani because he says it's necessary. Because otherwise, who knows? There's four embassies or whatever that are are, are a threat, or you know, etc. Okay, that is sort of like the president's prerogative, the Tsar's prerogative, because I have to do it to, to save the country, because no one else can do it. I, I couldn't go through all... If I would have had to go through Congress and had to make the whole shtickle tyrant and bring the proof, first of all, Soleimani would be watching CNN. He would have enabled C-SPAN. He would have figured out that, that that's what was going on. So Lechora, he does have a control. And again, this is all part... You know, Chochamavadi actually takes this a step further he says, okay, the Rishonim and, and the Ravaz were talking about, does he have the power to put a person to death, right? And of course, the idea, of course, seems to be, because that's the ultimate glory of power that even human life you have control over. So Chacham says, well, how about if he has the right to send people to war, right? <laughs> that's more than just one human life. That, that, that's, a, that, that's not only the lives of every soldier, but it can change the whole, the, the whole map. And if a, if a person has a right to do that, to, to, to actually invoke war and begin a war, so Chokham said, even if technically to kill somebody, he has to run, run through hoops, and there's ways um, that, that, that laws that he would like on the books can be overturned, and he needs to get the Senate approval, et cetera, et cetera. So but, it, but, 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 
but but right. But if he if he can if if he can start a war or if he can actually send troops on the ground, whether you call it a war or not, Chacham says that should definitely be equal to being able to kill one individual, right? Um, and again, this is really part of the uh, what we're talking about. You know, is since the time of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was uh, the inventor. You know, again, mentioning Trump and Lincoln in the same breath it might be sacrilege, but. Um, <laughs> You know, Trump has mentioned them in the same breath. I mean, Trump has probably mentioned himself and God, you know, in, in, in more than one breath. But actually, you remember right after Trump got elected, didn't we have a whole big conversation? Was that me and you had that conversation a couple of years ago? Probably. Let's see how things go. Yeah. And look how we've become such good friends over that time. <laughs> Way back in 2016, Mark and I bonded over the incredible, the, we're all incredulous over over the election. Anyway, the point being, though, is is that um, the point is is that this has been an issue since the time of Lincoln, the War Powers Act. Does a king have the power? Does the president have the power to say, "I don't need Congress to declare war"? Right. This is why um, he invoked the War Powers Act to really begin um, the uh, Civil War. To begin the he didn't he didn't get the the, the Congress to agree. Uh, that we're going to now put down the Southern Rebellion. He said, this is my right. And of course, every president who ever sent troops, whether it was Reagan to Granada or whatever it was, they've bypassed the Congress because they, they didn't have to. So anyway, that's Chacham Avadya's uh, element here. Um, but here again, the Rishonim, you know, we're talking here about putting uh, people to death. Then, then the Radvaz mentions the fact the Melech can't the, the Melech can actually get rid of him, right? The Melech can actually if he finds out, he can send a new Pasha, right? The Caliph can say, the guy shows up and knocks on the door and says, You're finished. Because at the end of the day, despite the power that he wields, he can actually be removed. So Generally, he says, that usually happens when the king is nearby. <laughs> and therefore, the king sends his agents to figure out what's going on. But if it's b'mokam rochok, if it's basically, it's, 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 it's thousands of kilometers away, technically under the great uh, Islamic cloak, practically, the king pretty much leaves this guy alone. So even though on the books... He, he answers to the king, but since the king is basically, we just, you know, they pay lip service and, then, you know, the monies get sent perhaps to, to Constantinople or wherever the, the seat of the caliphate was. But if it's a Mamokam Rochok, the king clearly has given him Sarara Vishultonos. So he's like the king himself. And therefore, um, the Brocha should indeed be made with Shei Mumalchus. Um, that's the psak of the Radvaz, continuing what the Rav Avbezin had said. Um, now, his proof is, in the time of the Rav Avbezin, those dukes could also have been removed. So you see, the fact that you can be removed is itself not a proof. Okay. So, um, this, of course, leads us to our question here. Um, would we make again? Uh, would we make a bracha on Trump? Um, in fact, you know what? I even say it in such. I, I, I tell you, I, I, I need to stop this for a second. I really do not believe. Twenty years ago, if I was giving this year, who was president twenty years ago? Uh, Clinton to, to to George Bush. I would say I would have probably raised the question, will we make a, a, a bracha on President Clinton, despite the shenanigans he was involved in, and President Bush? I, I think that even the fact that, that I'm saying this is sort of an indicator where we're at. A bracha on Trump, right? Yeah, President Trump, no, again, right? That, listen, when I was growing up, it was President Kennedy, it was President Nixon even, right? No who was president, it would be President Bernie, President, it doesn't right, right. The, the, it's the, the fact that the name president comes first, and whatever. Title, the office of president, whoever was meant president, something. That's meant something. Nothing, 
Right, right. It doesn't mean anything now. But anyway, so the point is, is that would he make a broke on him? Um, now, the... Uh, okay. So, then the Radvaz says, um, to make a bracha on the, on the Supreme Judge, he says, that for sure doesn't work. Because he's just the judge. He doesn't actually, you know, uh, you know, he, obviously he only deals with a case that has already been brought. So the judge who's deciding whether he dies or not is only because a case has been developed by the, you know, the, the police force or the people on the ground. Because he has no right to say, oh him? That's right. He can decide based on the evidence that was seen whether he deserves to die or not. Right. That, that, I was going to have the same question about that that, uh, that the the, the, sh- the Shofik Gadol you were mentioning before, right. because so that's uh, right. Now, that was the Radvaz's first answer. And again, you have to read the again. You'll appreciate it if you look in the email. He says, "I wrote all this, and I think it's right." Still, he says, "I'm not sure if we should make a bracha on these." Uh, these pashas. I re- again, my guts tell me yes, but I don't know if you should make a, use the name of God when you make the bracha, because the truth is, is that there have been instances, although normally they don't get involved, there have been instances where the overlord has decided the caliph has changed their stuff, um, and we do see that happening. So even though I feel pretty confident about it, but it does happen that he's not always in charge, so therefore a bracha though, because there is he definitely is a powerful person, but don't use the name of God, and this way you sort of you know, baruch, you don't say Adonai Eloheinu Melech yeah, I said it here, but you say baruch atah Hashem, or you say baruch atah shenosan or shenosan because this way on one hand, you have spoken to God, because you say baruch atah you know, you didn't say the name like I just did in order to teach you what I'm trying to say. Otherwise, I would have had to. It would have been like that Monty Python um, Life of Brian, like where where the guy you remember where John Cleese gets John Cleese gets stoned, where they're stoning the person for right. So I don't. I said it, okay. I said Hashem, okay, because I want you to understand what I was saying. Otherwise, I'll probably have to repeat myself. Right. So anyway, the point is is that you're still giving praise to God, even though you take out those words, Hashem okay, you know, because who else are you talking about? So you are praising God and you are impressed by what you see and probably the Rav Avbezdin who didn't have my jukas, who wasn't worried about stuff and said definitely make the bracha, he probably in his time, those dukes probably had such control that even though technically there was a king over them, they probably never got whatever they did changed. So here we have, again, it's interesting how history and adopted itself. Okay. So now, this Radvaz was quoted by the Mogan Avram, the Knesset Agdo, and others in Shulchan Aruch itself. Uh, and the Shulchan Aruch actually, you know, again, if you just take a look at even at the standard uh, Mishnah Brura, again, you're not going to see it unless you, you get close to me, but uh, if you take a look at, at the Shulchan Right, let's take a look. Um, if you take a look here at the Shulchan Aruch, and uh, actually that was the one thing I don't think I, <laughs> one thing I appended to, because I forget everybody's got a Shulchan Aruch, but the Shulchan Aruch on these halachos of Simon Reish Chav Dalid says that Al-Malcha Yisrael, you make a bracha, Shacholch Michvodo Lereyav, Al-Malcha Goyim, you also say Nosan Michvodo. Here, the Mishnah Burah, Basically recounts what I just said that Hashultonim she'ain ol melech aleim l'shanos divreim. If you have a sholek that the king's power over him doesn't allow him to change what he's saying, v'don v'hayrik b'mishpat mivarach aleim. You would make a bracha seemingly with with shemu malchus, and the and the Sharetzian quotes this radvaz. Okay. However, now, so again, it's an open question here about our kings. Now, one of the issues that was raised was a king is a king, well, well you're right, even if, you know, especially a king himself, until he dies. But if you have someone that's, that's by definition 
elected for only a, 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 a fixed period, maybe that already means, you know, even though what, what he can do then is incredible, but doesn't that itself show that he has limits? The limit is he can be uh, he can be not elected again, right? And and as the, as one of the amendments in the Constitution said, a president can only you know be a president for two terms. There is also a limit of impeachment. That's what I'm getting at. So that's what I'm saying. It would but, see. But even limits could be abused. Look at like Putin. He was elected, right? Right. 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 <laughs> Right, and now officially there are elections. Right, right. Right, so again, obviously, okay, but but if it works, if it usually works, if it usually works, like 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 the presidents since Roosevelt, like Truman, like Eisenhower, like Johnson, right, even Nixon, right, who went into private life afterwards. So Nixon, of course, wasn't was thought he was going to be impeached, but resigned. But the point is, is that. The power itself has got a battery life that ends. So this was a question that was raised that perhaps because of that reason, this wouldn't be relevant, right? Um, and this was actually um, the opinion of Rav Sternbach's opinion. He actually says an interesting thing. I'll show you the truth of Rav Sternbach. I mean, I'll show it to you. Hopefully you can, you can see it in the email. And... Um, there we go. So, Rav Sternbach writes, he says that when, um, he says he was actually visiting from South Africa. <laughs> and he came there to throw, punked at the time that uh, the president of the United States came. So I'm not sure which president it was. Uh, you'd have to go into Rav Sternbach's life to know exactly. But he says, the Rabbanim were all wondering, what should we do? Should we make a bracha? Should we not? So he said, he said, first of all, what he does is dependent, right? His status is dependent on the two houses of Congress, right? Because, and this is again about impeachment, listen to the Lashon. Shema shebekocham ladiachoso. They have the power to push him out. So since he, oh, it takes a lot, lot to get to impeachment, but if it does, if the Senate decides that they don't want him, then he's gone. And therefore, sam chiyutov mugvolem ma'od. So I, this, mean, I don't even know why does he have to get to that point? Because he doesn't have absolute power. three legislative Right, but... Okay. Well, well, we covered before how he could, like, order like the death of Suleimani or something like that. Right. He, you know, but he can't order the death of the average Joe citizen, for example. But, okay. Right. But I, I think he's trying. I think he's trying to bring up the point. Whatever, however, you're going right, to. But even if you, that's what Mark is correct. Even if you want to justify that he is the most powerful person. Two marks, right? So even though if you want to, they're both right, but I'm going to be in the middle here and explain how both you could be right and, and it makes sense. Even though he is the, again, we could talk about the most powerful person, the one who, whether he gets the honor or not, in a way, has the most honor in terms of what he does. True, we have a system of checks and balances, so you could make the argument that it should be the president. On that, Rav Sternbach is saying, but since, first of all, um, he can be pushed out. And therefore, his power is very limited. And he says an amazing thing here, because I was very, again, we talk about Trump. Of course, the other news that was uh, people were banding about was the fact that the, um, was it Harry and Megan? Is it Harry? Yeah, that Harry and Meghan have decided that they're not going to um, live up to or fulfill all their royal duties uh, in England, and they're going to basically go to uh, North America and live. And this really brought up a discussion about what is what's going on here. You know, well, what is this royalty in England about? You know, again, it's it's the taxpayers pay for it. It's paid by the people. They've got to have some job. What's what's the job of the royals, right? And again, this leads to another. Do you make a bracha on, on Queen Elizabeth? Or are we going to make a bracha on, on yikes, on uh, on Charles, right? Are we going to make a bracha on Charles? 
So, right, he's going to be the king soon, right? I, there's probably bets going on that by the end of 2020, you know, there's probably in Vegas, there's probably, uh, there's probably odds that Charles is going to be King Charlie by the time 2020 is over. Anyway, I don't want to put a Shalmayanar on, on Queen Elizabeth, but the point is he's going to be king. We make a brach on him. So, you know, I, I, before I saw this chuva, I figured, you know what, this is just some sort of throwback. They can't get rid of it. Everybody wants to get rid of it. The people who run things in power there are is the parliament. And, right, basically it's true. These, the king's just a figurehead, right? True, it, it, with extreme expense, with palaces and palatial estates and right. their version of the Secret Service and guards. And it's true, they do represent the country, and when terrible things occur, they sort of are supposed to speak, and people are supposed to listen to them. But, you know, a good 70-80% of the English are so cynical about the whole mishagas of the royals, and, you know, and it's spilled over here to America as well, so is that a king? So Sternbach surprised me when he says, Lodomi l'melucha ba'anglia. <laughs> when it comes to seeing the king in England, even in our time, technically, they send it, even though it's discussed in Parliament, technically the Queen attaches the royal seal. Now, um, so therefore, and it doesn't change. She doesn't lose that. The people institutionalized this That's right. That's right. So therefore, they represent something that's un- unbroken. It's her. And who's the next in line? Charles, right? And therefore, the glory of Queen Elizabeth is like a melech. I, Rav Sternbach says, She doesn't get involved, Right? She doesn't get involved in what's really happening and in, 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 in the finer points of what's happening in the government. You need her. You need to send the, the laws to her. She has to put those socialist laws, right? And she has to put her stamp of approval on all of those. And therefore, ultimately, they say that we're all under Her Majesty's power, right? They still say it, that we're all under the power of, of, of the Queen or the King. And therefore, uh, he says an incredible lotion, her glory, that which is what we're impressed by and what we make the brach about, is no less than previous generations. Um, now... True. The bracha is that Hashem gave a certain regal position, there's a regal, there's a certain something, something regal about this person. The fact that these people are willing to pay for it and play along with it is irrelevant. The bracha is not oh, Hashem made such a powerful person this guy's an absolute monarch I think the problem, and you're right, dictators, actually, the, the, the post can speak about that. It's in one of the Meyer Macomos of how it's different than a, a dictator. Again, this is... This, this, right, but, but by a dictator, there's no... There's nothing regal, there's no hold, there's no... Whatever the text of the brocha Okay, is. you're right. Castro, it's hard to see Castro is making a brocha on Castro. Yeah. You know, you walk in and he's smoking his cigar and he's got his fatigues on. And, yeah. But they are absolute they and they have more power than people who... So you're right. So in other words, would you say the glory and power? So again, there is... Okay, so Rav Sternbach actually mentions... A, okay, so Rav Sternbach actually mentions something interesting about this, which, which we'll get to. We've got a couple minutes here. Um, uh, he, he says that... Um, now, even though it's true, the, the Rabbah Bezdin and the Radvaz who parrots him and, and repeats him says that it has to be about Don Vahoreg B'mishpat... Um, First of all, again, Sternbach doesn't say this, but it could, but it could be, the Radvaz and the Ravabezin were talking about someone who, by definition, wasn't the king. <laughs> it was saying they are as good as the king because of what they could do. But if if there's, but for example, if you had eliminated capital punishment altogether and there was no killing anyone, right? So you have to reshift what represents great power, right? In the time of the Ravabezin, in the time of the Radvaz. Great power was 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 linked with human life. That's the greatest thing to do, that, right? But now that we've decided in, in civilized countries, not here in the U.S., but in, in other civilized countries, that we're not going to take the life of people, we're going to incarcerate them, or whatever we're going to do with them. 
So now, we, but we still look for the ultimate power, right? That's why, whether it's going to war or whatever it is, but if there's a person who is the ultimate power based on our system, so that's glory for us. It's all about how we perceive things to make the bracha towards God. Um, Rav Sternbach says that um, the president, since he can be impeached, and because after four or eight years he becomes a private citizen, he definitely is not like a king, and you won't make a bracha on him. Um, and then he, of course, gets into a very interesting discussion about the president of South Africa, <laughs> where he says, definitely, he says, he says, there's no question, he says there's a whole part of the population, the, 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 the black population, the Negro population, the, the African-American, they're not African-American, the Africans themselves, not the Afrikaners, uh, that population doesn't even think he's the king. He doesn't even think he's anything. Right, so this is the time. He left South Africa to Israel in the late 90s. Who declared? No. Right. He left, he was the chief rabbi of South Africa. Oh. And he went from South Africa to Israel when they made him the ambassador of Yerushalayim. Yeah. In the late 90s. He was there right at the time when Nelson so he says, definitely the cleric, whoever was the president then, for sure, you know, no brocha than him. Um, okay. But then he says an interesting thing. He says that there were people who were making brachas on Queen Elizabeth. He says that um, when I was in England, I saw Jews that would stand by the palace. And when they would see the queen look out, and they would see the queen, they would make a bracha. Um, and again, he was wondering, he says, he says, he says, Yehudim omdim, and he says, and, and he tries to explain why, I mean, are they seeing the glory of the queen then? I mean, they're seeing the palace, and she opens up the window, and she waves, and he says there were many Jews who would come, right, that wave, she'd come, right? She'd, they'd come and they'd make this bracha. Then he says, shamati migdoilim harbei, that there was actually Rabbanim in England who came to the Armon and would actually just, without even seeing the queen, just coming to the palace, which was the representation of a thing, and they would make a bracha. So um, then he mentions another interesting historical point. He says, I heard here, and I guess now that he's been in Eretz Yisrael, that the great Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld at one time met with the king of Jordan. And they say that they met, that he, I guess it was in his tent, I don't know exactly, the king of Jordan, and, you know, the, the Rav Yosef Chaim went to, like, this, 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 this desert-like tent, and there he met the, the king of Jordan. And they say, from the people that were there, that he made a bracha on the king of Jordan. And even though the king of Jordan was not there with, with, with this whole regal... Uh, uh, entourage. It was sort of like the, the rabbi was meeting him. He was the, the, the great rabbi meeting with him. So you see that even just seeing the king, knowing that he's a person of power, uh, is itself enough enough reason to make a brocham. So these are some interesting things that, that Rav Sternbach says. But according to Rav Sternbach, it would seem clear that there's no brocha on Trump, uh, even if he never gets impeached. But the fact that he has been impeached really brings to the fact that a brocha wouldn't be relevant. I have to just, I just want to end with uh, two more. But even if, but you could impeach him from office, and that's the point. Right. The, impeach, the, impe- the impeachment is the sign that removal. This question really applies to any leader of any Western democracy type country, France. Right. Any right. country that has a prime minister. Right. Does, has this bracha become uh, put in the wayside now? Has it been? There's always a potential for rebellion. Um, a rebellion where a king can be right. Well, again, the Radvaz and the Ravabez knew about that, and they stayed, they, you know, as right now. So I have to say that there is an opposite uh, argument on this, and that is from Ravosner. Satsal. Ravosner says that, look, even if in order to kill, you're going to need who knows how much red tape to go through. You need, the bracha still makes sense. Because, basically, um, 
the government, the people have decided that these are the laws and the laws are this way, but clearly the most powerful person is the one, he's, as he says, who are Yosir Mechubadam Ba'amam. However, you know, uh, convoluted and, and limited the ultimate man is, but if whoever is in the country you live in, the most Mechubid person, you'd make the bracha. Despite the fact that it doesn't align to the way things were in the time of Chazal, despite it doesn't align the way things were in the time of the Rav Bezdin or the Radvaz, if in these if in these modern democracies this is the most mechubed biyam, and therefore does he get the most covet? Okay, if he gets the most covet, despite the fact that he's not killing anybody and everything else. Oh, so that's another question about part. I'm going to get to that in a second. So. What, what would the post be so, so he says where the ruler really gets his power from the church so I, I would say now you're making a on okay. the power of the church I would say it's the same thing I would say it's the same thing even though ultimately it comes from the church so therefore he says that well certainly they had in the, the Ottoman Empire right I mean okay or France with the right yeah Anyway, uh, I, I'm just pointing out that um, that even though the, the, the Rav Vosner says that the rules of the government, the constitution, so to speak, forces this situation on him, you would still make a bracha. So actually, so we actually have a machlekes. and Rav Vosner feel for the reasons I mentioned about war powers. And Rav Vosner, based on the logic of who's the most mechubed, you would make a bracha on Trump as well. Um, and there was one last thing I wanted to uh, say before we, 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 we wish things well for everyone. There was one last thing on here about the brachas, and that was, let me just see here, from Rav Feinhandler. I had discussed to know Rav Feinhandler. He died much too young. He died in his 60s. And um, Avne Yoshe, which of course stands from Yisroel Pesach Feinhandler, uh, he wrote. I think it's their seven or eight volumes. Well, nice, very nicely written shuvas. I had the schuz to hear him speak and talk to him in learning a number of times. He was a Chicago boy. He's the other great Chicago kid besides Nelson Finkel, who made it incredibly big, who was raised in a very modern Orthodox type of environment, went to the academy, which where a place where I taught. Uh, Mixed high school where I taught, and eventually went there to Israel at Shemesh at Shemesh by the Gedolim, and he he was zocha to really spend time by a tremendous amount of rabbanim. The two that he spent the most, the ones, the two greatest ones that he spent the most time with, Shemazam and Arbach, he calls the Anakoyro, but the two were Rav Vosner and Rav Yashif, who he calls Goyin Echod, and. Um, he mentions here Rav, uh, Rav Vosner's Psak, and he says that Mayri Shlita writes in the Shevet Alevi, you would make a bracha. And he says that Avul um, Bismaneinu, right? Um, right. So he says that even though my Rebbe said that, let's go back to the sources. The sources say a king that had glory and power was one who could actually bring death. That made sense. That's that ultimate power. He says now the democracy, the democracies have a thing that that the people, that the kings are are subject to the to the to the populace. That's not a melech. We don't have melech anymore. Basically, it's what it is is an official. So it depends. It goes back to the definition. Can, the, can anyone change what that official is doing? Love, hein, hein, love? Yeah. If enough votes, we can overturn what you're doing. Then he says, shlita. He doesn't say who. But in another place, in his introduction to his farm, when he sort of writes these three great men, <laughs> Rebel Yoshev, Rebel Vosner, and Rosham Zalman, he refers to Rabbi Yashem is going echod. He calls um, he calls uh, Rabbi Vosner gives another title for. He doesn't call him going echod. 
and he calls from Shomazaman Anakairo. So it's clear to me, he's a Nayomemis now, or a fine handler, but it's clear to me that he's talking about Rebel Yoshev. That Rebel Yoshev, conservative in his Psalkim the way he was, disagreed with Rebosner. And he felt, look, these are the Gadarim we have, and these have been uh, put into the Psak. The Rav Avez and the Red Vaz, quoted now by the Mogan Avram, it's part of the Shulchan Aruch already, it's in the Knesset Agdeh, it's in the Mishnah Baruch. Blinders. Can he kill? Is he able to be done or Mishma? Can anybody change what he's saying? Okay, you can. Trump, you can. So according to this, um, you would not, according to Rebel Yoshev and Rav Heinand, who asked him, um, you would not make a bracha on him because in Echami, it, it's lost. Another question whether whether Sturmbach is right, it has to do with the king. Question about amnesty. This, according to the Minchas Halazar, amnesty is basically the same thing as being able to put to death. Right, right, right. But yeah. there are others that argue that amnesty is different. Amnesty, it's true, it's half of the story, you know, but it, he can't impose death. Amnesty just means that he can clear a death sentence, right. but he can't demand a death sentence. Which means actually puts you in the line of death. He can be your shield against death. But does that mean that's all has that ability to right? All governors have a right, right to right. they so can be right. Wait for the right, right, wait, right, right, right. Because if, if that's enough, because he has power to, to right over life and death, so that that would be the question. Our finance and others seem to feel that even though the Minchas Elazar says that, and again I haven't tracked it down yet, Minchas Elazar says that. Uh, So I would say, are you obligated to say four more years? Let's see. Let's see what I've done here. I think we. Have-